Well, welcome back. We're glad that you're here with us as we continue to worship through the reading and the preaching of God's word. What an important truth it is for our hearts to be filled with the word of God. And hopefully you'll be encouraged this morning as you hear the word of God, as it specifically tells us how to live our lives out through the gospel of Jesus Christ in our relationships and specifically in one of our most important relationship, if not the most important relationship, which is the relationship of the husband and the wife. This is God's design in marriage. And we continue in our series called The Gospel in Life. Remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the gospel. What is the gospel? We are redeemed. We are restored. We are saved. We are forgiven. Now that we are that, we are the church that is the people of God, a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. And now he tells us in the last half of the book, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now he's telling us how to live in a gospel because of the gospel and what it's done for us. And so we see that we don't walk in sexual immorality. We walk in love because of the gospel. We don't walk in darkness or as darkness. We walk as light because of the gospel. We don't walk in foolishness, but we walk in wisdom because of the gospel of Christ's forgiveness. Now we have been empowered by the Spirit. And last week, we learned that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And he gives us four ways of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21. Those four reasons or four ways in which the Spirit is indwelling and filling us is, is through the speaking of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always. And the last one is submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And now Paul transitions this describe how submitting one another looks in our closest relationship, the marriage relationship. And so we see even after this, Paul describes not only the marriage, the family, but then the workplace, which we'll get to soon, but we're going to talk about the marriage relationship, God's design to reflect the glory of God through the relationship and the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. Before we get into this passage this morning, I would like to say this to our uh, single uh, people who are watching this, our, our younger people who are unmarried, or, or maybe you have been divorced, our single people. I would like to say that um, this relates just as much to you because the principles of interaction with people that you are close to, whether it be a friend, whether it be your family, whether it be your coworker, apply in reflecting the gospel through the relationships in which you have. 
So before we get started, I want to ask you this question. Does your marriage proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we'll begin there and go th- through verse 27 this morning. So stand in reading of God's word as we read it together, as we do, as we gather together, we can do it in our homes as well. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, page 978 in my Bible. That may not make sense to you, but we're going to read it anyway. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for this morning. We pray for your word to impact our lives, for your word we know is um, useful for training and righteousness and correcting and rebuke. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us in our most important relationships that we have, Father, that the gospel would exude those relationships, that we would see, um, Father, your design that is good, that is pleasing. And Father, we would reject the world's designs and that we would accept your word as truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that fascinates me that I'm I'm not too great with is actually puzzles. And if you take all these pieces, and some of you are are puzzle people, you've probably been puzzling during during the quarantine, coronavirus, or whatnot. But my daughter, when she was little, she loved putting these little puzzle pieces together and, and she would get the, you know, the nine piece puzzle and she would be, get it together. Daddy, look, I, I've put the puzzle together. And uh, my, my daughter probably gets her love for puzzles from my wife. I can remember uh, first dating my wife and uh, one of her skill sets was playing the Nintendo Dr. Mario. If you know what I'm talking about, you 80s children know exactly what I'm talking about. But Dr. Mario, where you have to put these little colors together to, to make it. It's kind of like Tetris. But um, my wife beat the entire game. Uh, I watched her do it. And it was pretty impressive. Um, later, we would be married, and that was one of the things that brought me to her. Yes. Um, no. But the hardest part about making or creating puzzles is that you have to have the right pieces to see the picture, or it's not clearly seen. And if you're missing a piece, you may not even be able to tell what the picture is designed to look like. And the same is that in marriage. When one of the pieces is not in the right place, 
It throws the whole thing out of whack. If Christ is not in the center of the marriage and someone is looking for fulfillment or enjoyment from the other person instead of finding their fulfillment and enjoyment in Christ alone, they're going to be extremely disappointed in their spouse for not meeting all of their needs. This is really true of every, every area of our life, not just our marriage, but our job, our relationship with our friends, our family, our money. If we think that our joy will come about through someone or something else than Christ himself, we are sadly mistaken. But in a marriage, when both people are looking to the Lord for their purpose, for their fulfillment, for their joy, then the puzzle pieces begin to fit together and click and marriage becomes to reveal this beautiful picture of the gospel and this beautiful picture of love and respect for one another. The household of God is the church and it is made up of households of families. It would be suffice to say that a church with strong families and with strong marriages would create a strong church. A church with weak families would create a weak and effective church because each household is not strong. Each family is made up of individuals within each family, and God created those individuals with certain roles or to fit in the puzzle piece together, just as God has created his church with roles or different puzzle pieces to create this picture of the gospel. No one person being more important than the other, but each with a function. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 describes this picture of each part of the body having a role and yet fitting together, no one being more important than the other. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 25 says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If it if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty with our more presentable parts, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This beautiful picture of the parts of the body functioning together as one. Paul has just told us in Ephesians chapter 4, that the oneness of the church reflects the oneness of God, thus bringing him glory. The same can be said in marriage. As the oneness of marriage with the different puzzle pieces coming together reflects this beautiful picture of the glory of 
God. Paul writes this letter in Ephesus back in the first century. And even back in the first century, this marriage picture, God's design for marriage, is counter culture, even in Ephesus. A city like Ephesus has a trending perversion of gender identity, a reversal of roles in male chauvinism back then. And Paul outlines this counterculture, this radical marriage concept that's rooted in creation and reflects Christ and his church. We go back to Genesis chapter 2 to see how God has designed and how he created the marriage as the oneness of marriage to reflect the glory of God in which he has set up roles. In the garden, Adam was created first in which he worked in the garden that God had given him and he was to protect or keep the garden and, to, and God gave him a command in the garden that he was to obey. But he was alone. And so God created woman, a suitable helper fit for him. And God creates this woman and a beautiful creation that she is. And when man sees this creation that God has created, he gives his love poem, his declaration of his love to her, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And God establishes this covenant of marriage, the two becoming one flesh. And he will refer that again in later in Ephesians chapter 5 and they lived happily ever after just kidding lol that is not what happens the fall happens in the garden man fails his responsibility to protect the garden and his wife And he fails at being the spiritual leader in the garden, disobeying the commands that God has given him from the Lord. And he only not only watches his wife, but he does not engage the enemy, the serpent. And he stands right next to his wife as she takes and eats of the apple or the fruit. Thus the Lord calls to man in the garden, where are you? Almost as if to say to Adam, where were you? In your responsibility to lead and protect your wife. Then Adam does what we sometimes do as men, is he blames the woman. He probably slept on the couch for a few days after he did this, but he said to the, to the Lord, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. It was the woman that you gave me. Not only is the man supposed to lead in protecting, but he's also his responsibility to lead in other areas such as romance and the spiritual leader in the home. And now... As a result of the fall, we see marriages that are messed up, that are broken, perversions of marriages, perversions of the covenant of marriages that run rampant as a result of the fall, and marriage is difficult. Not going to lie, if you're watching this this morning, marriage is 
difficult. But praise God from whom all blessings flow that in our corrupt and broken world, Christ is making all things new. He is redeeming. He is restoring. He is taking hearts of stone and he is replacing them with hearts that beat for God and giving us a spirit that empowers us to live out God's design in marriage. And Paul is saying here in this, in this verse, return to God's design through Christ. Be filled with the Spirit and empowered to live a life that reflects the gospel even in your marriage. Look to Jesus for your marriage, not your Instagram or what the world says is a successful marriage. Look to the book. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, <coughs> even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, are you awake? You there? You still with me? All right, good. One time a pastor was describing, um, was asked to go to a university class to describe Bible, the Bible's view on marriage and the Bible's view on sexuality, on sex. But the reality, he said to the class, was this. You will not understand the biblical view of marriage, nor will you understand the biblical view of sex until you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he spent most of the time declaring the gospel of Christ, and then the last 10 minutes, he talked about the biblical view of marriage and the biblical view of sex as it relates to God's design. And so when we look at this passage, we have to look at it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth, died a death of a suffering servant. He humbled himself to give his life for us so that we could have life. This is our first point this morning from verse 22, submission is our response to the gospel. Now look at verse 21 before you look at verse 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The submission is for all Christians, not just for wives. But Paul wants to show here or detail out that the submission to one another also includes wives in your relationships to your husband. Now, the word submission means to relinquish one's rights. It is a voluntary response, just as, as we have described, all Christians are to relinquish their own rights for the sake of others. Submission to one another. And last week we talked about this submitting to one another as it relates to chapter 4, verse 2, where it talks about humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love. 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This characterizes the submission that God has designed. So before you get all heated about the word submission in our culture today, look at the biblical definition. I I encourage you to look at at verse 2 of chapter 4. Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. It is a team player. This is characterized in marriage as wives submit to their husbands in multiple ways. This is no longer about me but it's about we. It is no longer my time, my money, my body. It's our time, our money, our bodies. Because we are one. Paul gives an example of the oneness in one of the areas of marriage in which is very difficult to navigate. It is sex within marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, he says this, But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. Likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have the authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That'll wake you up in the morning. Make sure that you're all, all with me. Oneness of marriage is giving up your own rights to serve one another in love. The oneness of marriage comes to life when we see that each spouse is giving up their own interest to serve the interest of the other. Now, where do we see this in Scripture? I'm glad you asked this morning. Jesus himself submitted to the will of the Father. Now you say, um, how did this happen if Jesus is God? But again, Jesus is not, is not, is equal with God, but he still submitted himself to the Father. Did not account equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. John 6, 38 says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In the Trinity, the Father is not greater than the Son, nor the Son greater than the Holy Spirit, yet each respect their roles as the Son submits to the Father. So this is not only representative of Christ and what he did, but it's also representative of his church as the church is submits to Christ. As it says here, now, as the church submits to Christ in verse 24, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Each member of God's church recognizes Christ as the head. 
and looks to him as the leader of God's church. He has been given authority in our life, and now we live for Christ. It's no longer about us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus says this multiple times in Matthew chapter 16, 24. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, Jesus denied himself so that we could live. He suffered on the cross as the suffering servant, humbling himself. And now the script is flipped. Because of thanksgiving, because of of joy, because of praise, our response to Christ is to deny ourselves and live for him. And the Spirit of God allows us to do that. Look at verse 2 for a minute, or 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. There's a clear distinction that God has given the roles in which the head is to the man. He tells us in 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians 11 that the order of creation is the reason for this. God has given him the responsibility of leading in the home. It means that you husbands are accountable to whatever happens in your marriage and in your home. Ultimately, the husband was the, res- was the one who was responsible for the Garden of Eden fall. Tony Evans says spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. All right, there you go. So the wife is not commanded here to obey Any husband that thinks that he should demand his wife's submission because of this passage doesn't understand the gospel and is not interpreting the passage correctly. The view is not to treat your wife as a servant or a child, but as an equal for whom God has given him care and responsibility for provision and protection. And this is to be exercised in love. Christ never lords it over his disciples, and neither should we as husbands. The wife submits voluntarily. She does not do this begrudgingly because it is her response to the gospel. You see, this submission is also a gospel reflection. It doesn't say submit to your husband when he is perfect, a perfect husband leading like Christ. They should be, yes. But Paul would never have envisioned wives following their husbands into sinful practices, unlawful actions, or subjecting themselves to abuse. It says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And this submission is a response to the gospel, not based upon how good your husband is, 
how much your husband is following the Lord because it is for the Lord, not for your husband. When you submit to your husband in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, you are actually serving God. You say, Rob, my husband does not follow God. My husband does not know Christ. He does not live out the gospel in his life. What do I do? You show him the gospel. You show him Christ. Who knows, maybe through the way that you respect him and love him, serve him, he will see Christ in you. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, and if he no longer wants to be with someone who is devoted to Christ, then you are set free. But here are some questions for our wives as they marinate on this. Here's some questions that you can ask yourself. Are you respecting your husband based upon how good he is or based upon how good Christ is? Do you find your fulfillment and joy in your husband or is your fulfillment and joy in Christ? Do your kids see how to follow Jesus in how you treat your husband? How much time are you praying for your husband? Are you allowing him to lead or are you trying to change him? Submit to Christ, be willing to submit to one another. And then you come to the hardest, probably the hardest verse in the Bible. Every man that looks at this verse looks at this verse with the impossibility of performing this verse, but understands the weight of this verse and also understands the weight that it carries in the reflection of their own life for the gospel of Christ. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The second point for this morning is just the same as the first one where we are submitting to one another and this is the response of the man in his submission to his wife is to love her as Christ loved the church. So our point number two this morning is sacrificial love is our response to the gospel. Unconditional agape love. Our response to the gospel. Husbands, you have been given the responsibility of leading like Christ in your home. It means you're willing to give up your right for the sake of your wife. Loving her with the sacrificial Christ-like love. This means washing her feet just as Jesus did with his disciples. It means being willing to give up your time, your money, your body for her sake. It is a love that is patient. It is a love that is kind. It is a love that does not boast. It is a love that is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, it is not resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. C.S. Lewis calls this sacrificial love 
He says that men in the marriage, you wear a crown, but the crown you wear is first and foremost a crown of thorns, a servant willing to die for his wife. And this is not just someone who's willing to jump in front of a car for his wife. This is not someone who's willing to take a bullet for his wife. This is someone who every single day lays down their life for their wife. And the gospel is not that you earned God's love. But while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. In the same way, a wife does not earn the love of her husband. He freely gives it no matter her behavior, her health condition, her appearance, or any potential deterrent. He, in the same way, is called to love her because Christ has loved him. Young ladies, if you're thinking about dating a guy who doesn't picture this, maybe he doesn't show sacrificial love, he can't hold a job or doesn't treat his mother right or with respect, expects you to plan every date or doesn't sacrificially give of his time, his money for you, need to run. He isn't walking in the spirit of the living God. Husbands, this, this is the main way that you show your children the gospel. It's how you show your wife you love her. It's an opportunity to lay down your own rights and to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for us, for them. And this not only pictures husbands, but the entire church as we lay down our own rights for one another. Philippians 2, 4, each of you should not look to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Questions for husbands before we move forward. Are you leading your wife like Christ leads the church? Does your wife want to follow your lead? Does your leadership reflect the self-sacrificing love of Christ? What areas do you need to ask your wife for forgiveness and not leading her well? It would be amiss for me to not address um, the hurt that comes through brokenness in marriage. There are many people who have scars and the effects and wounds and pain from the brokenness of our world, specifically within the marriage covenant. I want you to know that one day Christ will wipe every tear from our eyes. I understand the pains of divorce as it runs through my family. 
It's most likely that you or someone that you love has experienced the pain of a marriage breaking down or ending in divorce. And yet this is not God's design for his church. We must humbly go back to the gospel of grace and find healing in our hearts through Christ to be able to submit with a thankful heart and love with a grateful heart. You see, our hearts become wounded and unable to love like Christ when we place the walls of hurt up in our own life. We must begin to open our hearts to Christ alone to be the ever-satisfying refreshment of our soul. We must not look to the person sitting next to us to change their behavior, but look deep down into the recesses of our own soul and repent ourselves and place our faith upon the one who is worthy of our submission and the one who is worthy of our unconditional love. You see, the battle is being waged for God's church in our homes, in our marriages. I've seen this many times through. When marriages break down in the church, it affects every person in the body of Christ, the household of God. Will you stand and fight? Will you look to the gospel for the answers and not to the world? I want to end here with verse 26 and 27. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the last point this morning, point number three, which is the church is to reflect the glory of God. The church itself reflects the glory of God through the sanctification process. The conversation Paul now shifts from the focus of the husband and the wife, which he will go back to here in a minute, but it shifts from there to the focus upon Christ and the church. The reason for Christ dying and giving up his life for you and for his church is that she may be holy. The reason is not for you to be saved. The reason is for you to be holy. The reason is not for you to go to heaven. The reason is for you to be made holy. Yes, we will be saved. Yes, we will be in heaven. But those are not the internal reasons of the glory of God. How can we say that we receive this salvation through the gospel, but we are not transformed through the gospel in our marriage? How can we say that? Paul now goes back to the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 4, and he explains 
that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. All for the glory of God. Understanding that he has saved you to reflect the glory of God. And now he is sanctifying his church, the people of God. You are going through this purifying process, as he says here, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water. You're being made holy. This transformation is accomplished in the lives of believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. This washing is the power of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. Here's what Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from flesh from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules God has placed in you this heart and is filled with the Spirit to be able to live out the promises of God, to be able to obey the commands in which He has given us. You see, the Spirit is God's cleansing agent. 1 Corinthians 6.11 As such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3.5 He saved us, not because of works done in, by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is not an outward cleansing. As in the old covenant, as they purify themselves to enter into the presence of God. No, this is an inward cleansing and is done through the Holy Spirit. The washing of water. They may sanctify, make you pure. And this is done through the proclamation of the Word of God. The Spirit, the cleansing agent, by the Word of God being washed over your souls and in and through your hearts. So why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. This is the work of God. It is not the work of man. If you think that you can improve your marriage by a four-step process, you're wrong. 
The only way to improve your marriage is to be filled with the Spirit of God. To allow Him to transform your heart, your desires. And that comes through deep knowledge and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we call it gospel in life. Everybody wants the four-step process. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Give thanks to the Lord. Praise his name. Give thanks for your husband, your wife, your family. Address one another's with songs of praise. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Being filled with the Spirit. Empowered to do the work and the will of God in your life. And you watch the world take and pull you away from God's design for marriage. You must be putting on the armor of God each day. You best be hearing the truth of God. Who he has called you to be. Who has he created you to be. Who he has saved you to be. The gospel not only gives us the power to save, it also gives us the power to live. May we rest in the hope of Christ in our marriage. Let's pray.